Recovery Elevator, episode 427. You know, I, I didn't want to tell anyone. I thought it was embarrassing. And then I realized, actually, it's more embarrassing to be a drunk, stupid mess in front of your friends and family than tell them that you're going to be recovering from being a drunk, stupid mess. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four. down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. <laughs> I love it. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. There we go. Three, four. Wiki, wiki. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, on today's podcast, we have Ian. He's 24 years old from Baltimore, Maryland, and took his last drink on December 26th, 2022. Hell yeah, Ian. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do an amazing job. And everybody, today is going to be a good day. Today has already been a good day. What are you doing for Memorial Day? You should join Recovery Elevator in Atlanta, Georgia. We have an event just for Cafe Ari members on Saturday. And then on Sunday night, we are at the Marriott in Alpharetta for a conference-style event that everyone is invited to attend. Link is in the show notes for more information. Thank you, Robin. And before we get any further, let's hear from Exact Nature. We are thrilled to partner with Exact Nature because we are committed to the same goal, to help you quit drinking. Exact Nature's safe, all-natural CBD-based products can aid your alcohol-free journey. If you struggle with sleep, cravings, mood swings, and high stress levels, learn more about how Exact Nature can help you at exactnature.com. Recovery Elevator listeners will receive 20% off their orders by using the code RE20. That's RE20 at exactnature.com. Okay, let's get started. If you attend 12-step meetings, there is a line that you'll hear every fifth meeting or so that is a bit of a head-scratcher. If you don't go to AA, you'll still hear this line uncovered from time to time, almost like it's momentarily revealed, only to be swept under the rug again. That line is, drinking is but a symptom. Now, the big book of AA is very clear that excessive alcohol consumption, alcoholism, is but a symptom of underlying issues or intense unrest that is not related to alcohol, yet we are using alcohol to cope or to cover up these issues. It even goes a little further to say that resentments are the number one cause of this unrest. All right, so let's unpack this for a moment, because when I first heard it, I was curious, and I asked myself, why the hell is this called Alcoholics Anonymous if alcohol isn't the problem? Why isn't it called Extreme Unrest in Other Areas of Our Lives and We Are Using Alcohol to Cope Anonymous? I agree, that name doesn't quite roll off the tongue like AA, but it makes one think. It's called Alcoholics Anonymous because that is the substance we used collectively to mitigate unrest. It's what we have in common. For others, it's gambling or shopping or perhaps food or a different drug. So if alcohol isn't the primary problem and it's a symptom of something else, what does that really mean and what course of action should we take? First off, unrest and other areas of our life aside, alcohol is physically quite addictive. If you've been drinking nightly, anywhere from three to 10 drinks, and this is different for everyone, you're probably physically addicted to alcohol. 
This can be a big problem if you abruptly remove alcohol or quit cold turkey. I do not recommend this as alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world to detox from. Many have died in the detoxing process. Rest in peace, Amy Winehouse. So in the short term, the physical alcohol addiction, yes, is a major problem, and I recommend detoxing with medical support. All right, drinking is but a symptom. I do believe this, but I feel the addictive nature of alcohol and how it hijacks the dopamine system does have a big part as well. However, the but a symptom component explains why after we remove alcohol from our system, people still relapse or go out and do more field research after prolonged periods of abstinence. I remember the first time I heard that line. It was both glorious and a punch in the goat blocks at the same time. Glorious because I ran with the idea that alcohol wasn't the problem, and all I had to do was deal with the underlying symptoms causing me to drink. However, I quickly realized, and a DUI helped, that I had 0% chance of addressing these underlying issues in my life while drinking. A brutal truth you'll hear in AA is, if you want to find out why you drink, stop drinking and you're going to find out pretty quick. None of us are able to correct the unrest in our lives when alcohol is present. That's also why moderate drinking for the problematic drinker doesn't work either. Do you want to moderately uncover the symptoms of unrest in your life? Do you want to moderately heal? So the line, drinking is but a symptom, was a direct punch to the goat blocks because I said to myself, wait a second, I have to quit drinking and then deal with shit? You're telling me that alcohol isn't the problem? It's just covering up my insecurities, my self-centeredness, my anxieties, the self-doubt, the daily inner prompt of what's the point of all this? It was a double whammy. But listeners, to me, this is where it gets exciting. We get one life. Yeah, maybe reincarnation is a thing, but there's no guarantee for me that Third Eye Blind is going to be playing on the radio the next time around, or my next reincarnation will bring me to a maple donut or a mango-flavored mochi. So let's focus on this life. Don't you want to address the parts of the personality that need deep healing and are out of balance? Don't you want to heal those parts of you that are screaming for attention? After all, it's the authentic you who is wanting to be heard. We've got one shot at this life, and your addiction is about to springboard you towards your authentic self, if you're willing. And you may be asking yourself, am I willing? And I can easily answer that one for you. If you're listening to a sober podcast, then yes, you're willing. And keep listening for your next steps. Drinking is but a symptom. So with this knowledge, what action do we take? To start, the alcohol has to go. That's a line from the outro music of this podcast. And next, let the unrest rise. One unrest at a time, when they're supposed to rise and when they're supposed to be dealt with. Unrest is a normal life experience. You're not doing anything wrong if you feel unrest or intense unrest occasionally. For me, part of the but a symptom, a small branch of this, was my nervous system. For a long time, I was in a low-level fight or flight without quite realizing it. The drinking helped till it didn't, then I had to address the issue. I quickly found in my first 30 days alcohol-free that nature would bring my nervous system down from code red to something that I could deal with without alcohol. There's a reason I live at the base of the mountains outside of Bozeman, Montana. I know what my body needs. I know where that medicine is. I can access it 24-7 and it's free. 
Listeners, I hope you enjoyed the intro today as I had a good time writing it. And with the interview with Ian, I want to mention we are not recording in a soundproof studio with expensive microphones on each side, headphones, sparkling water, and tap while sitting across from each other. I think one of my favorite parts of the interviews is how raw they really are. Sometimes interviewees are calling in from the front seat of their car, from their basement, from the attic, or a workspace room they reserved. All of those scenarios and many more have occurred. We've paused recordings for barking dogs, my own barking dog, for UPS deliveries, passing trains, and for when people need a moment to regain composure. In the interview with Ian, you're going to hear police sirens, many of them. I don't think this detracts from the interview in any way, but I wanted to give you a heads up. With the second or third round of police sirens, I began wondering to myself, what was the issue? Maybe there's a cat stuck in a tree. But since Ian is calling in from Baltimore and I've seen the wire, I'm guessing those sirens signaled more distress. I don't know for sure, but if I had to, I bet some of those sirens are anchored to alcohol or some type of addiction. I think it's a safe bet to say some of those emergency response vehicles are attending to someone in active addiction. So with each siren you hear, instead of wishing for a quieter interview, take a moment to send love to the person who needs help or the person who is still struggling with active addiction. And now a word from our sponsor BetterHelp before we hear from Ian. Something I wish I had been told when starting on this journey is that you actually never arrive. You continue to learn from yourself and peel off layers from the onion. This is actually great news because knowing ourselves means that we can have agency to act differently, but sometimes it's definitely overwhelming. Therapy allows us to become more self-aware and to process as we are growing and discovering more of ourselves. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you are thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash elevator. Ian, how are you? Hey, Paul. I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, Ian. Great to be here with you. I'm excited to hear your story and share it with the Recovery Elevator audience. Listeners, Ian emailed me a while back and said, hey, I'm younger in recovery into the sobriety thing. I would like to hear uh, more younger voices on the podcast. And I think you said, you know, let's do an interview. I said, yeah, let's do it. So here we are. Ian, let's get right into this. When was your last drink? Christmas Day of 2022. Yeah, Christmas Day 2022. At the time of this recording, almost two months ago, fantastic stuff. Ian, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age. Uh, do you have a family? And what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, so I'm 24. Um, I'm from New Jersey, but I live in Baltimore now. I'm a recent college grad. I just got into like my first um, adult job. Um, so a lot of changes happening in my life. I foster senior dogs in my free time. Um, I'm a big animal guy. I love playing music. And yeah, that's that's about it. 
two questions there. What is it like to enter your first real job? I think that's how you phrased it. It's a little intimidating. I think there is a certain aspect of like um, imposter syndrome that I feel being like the youngest person uh, in my office right now. But I also feel really confident about my abilities. And, you know, just like leaving college was was really rough for me. And it's, it was part of <laughs> leaving behind a uh, life of drinking and partying. But um, it's, it's, it's like a new chapter in my life. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it. Yeah, I remember that being challenging myself. And then you said you foster senior dogs. Uh, tell me yeah. more about that. There is a local animal shelter that I stumbled upon one day. And I decided that since I can't really commit to a lifetime of a dog yet, you know, like I'm moving around a lot. I'm still kind of in a weird phase of my life. I decided to foster. And I, the first time, got this like older girl who was just like the sweetest thing ever. And I fell in love with senior animals and I've been fostering them ever since. Um, one of them uh, recently passed away with me, which was like a little depressing, but honestly, just being able to get them out of the shelter and just live their golden days in a house with like lots of love is, is really fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. How has that been helpful in the last uh, nearly two months away from alcohol to be with animals and, and for that one to help that one transition to the next next life, I guess? It is super, super comforting to have animals around. Um, and a lot of people may um, recommend against making large decisions when you are you know, in such an early stage of your recovery. Um, and I think if you are someone who is capable of giving care to an animal, especially a dog, you absolutely should because it, the comfort that you get from having some company in this like really hard times is super, super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. There's a phrase called dog is man or, or woman's best friend. And I highly believe that. I just read this morning in a book that there's, there's definite evidence that 15,000 years ago, man and dog were, were working together. And the synergy that we have developed together over those thousands of years, I mean, these pets become part of the family. And we've heard on this podcast, I say it all the time, there's a Johan Hari quote, the opposite addiction. It's not sobriety, it's, it's connection. And, you know, humans, we can release those chemicals such as oxytocin and serotonin when we have interaction with animals. They are so powerful. In fact, I think it's the pets that are holding the glue of all of humanity right now mm -hmm. on the planet. If we remove the pets, I think we'd be in big trouble. And, and for me as well, I've, I, this, my standard poodle, Ben, I don't think I would be here right now if that wonderful soul had not been here to help me quit drinking in, in 2014. All right, Ian, let's do what we came here to do. Let's talk about your journey away from alcohol. Um, when did you when did you first recognize that alcohol was no longer serving you? Or maybe go back a little bit and talk about when you first started drinking. Yeah, so um, it started in college. Surprisingly, I never drank in high school, uh, mainly because I was like, not the most popular person in the world and I wasn't really invited to any parties. Um, so while other kids were experimenting with drugs and alcohol, I, you know, was very religious and sheltered and, and didn't have that experience. So there was no like access for me to substances. Once I came into college, I was all of a sudden introduced to drinking and partying and, and, and drugs. So in 2018, I would say it was the year I moved into my very first apartment. Um, I was like a junior then. Um, and that was when I started drinking and smoking weed very regularly, maybe like three times a week. It started to be like, 
I would smoke and drink on school nights instead of just weekends, just for no reason, instead of like only doing it during parties. Um, and throughout that year, until it hit like 2019, it started ramping up. And then by 2019, I was drinking pretty daily. I was 20 at the time, and I was drinking about a fifth a day. Ian, I think you said you were drinking daily. Did you view other students or your friends and colleagues and did you justify it and say, oh, everybody's drinking this much. I am an American. I'm going to a four-year institution or whatnot, a college institution here in the United States of America. This is what we do. Or was there a voice saying, look, this is ramping up fast. I am drinking more than my friends. Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was sort of both in a way. Uh, I definitely was surrounded by other students. I was living with roommates who were drinking just as much as me at parties. They were drinking just as much as, as me on the weekends. But that year, with the year that I first moved out, um, I did find myself being a little sneaky about it. Um, like I would silently go out to the balcony to smoke weed while everyone else was like sleeping in the morning or doing other things and just pretend like I wasn't, you know, I was hide the kind of smell on me. Um, I would start going out and buying my own alcohol so that no one would notice how much I was drinking from the house's supply. And there was something in the back of my head saying, you know, like if you're sneaking around and trying to make it seem like you're not drinking as much, you probably are drinking more than your peers. But at the end of the day, we all got together at night and smoked and drank. So it, you know, it, it, I just put that to the side. Because I, it, it made me feel normal to see everyone else doing it with me, even though I was doing it from 8 a.m. to you know, 9 p.m. Sure. And Ian, I, I know there's a lot of nodding heads out there listening. My head was going, yeah, when you talked about sneaking or you know, drinking more, smoking when other people weren't aware of it. I went through that. And I think that's a classic trait of addiction, right? Where we try to hide it and sneak around with it. Um, yeah. And there were a couple of times when I was busted, <laughs> you know, I had a friend, I was at a bachelor party one time and across the bar, I ordered three shots of tequila. It was just like, boom, boom, boom. And then later that night, someone's like, Hey dude, how are those three tequila shots back to back? I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. It was just, it was really good. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Take us, take us from there, Ian. Yeah, so I was drinking about a fifth a day by the time I was 20, and that may not seem like a whole lot to some people, but I'm a smaller guy. I was, you know, a bit younger, so it's not really the same degree as like 40 year old men drink. But um, it was enough for me to be blacking out every single night. There was very rarely a night that I was just like getting into bed, putting myself to sleep. I would spend the night drinking, and then suddenly wake up in the morning. So I would say at the time I was 20. I had began to plan my entire days around drinking and smoking. So I'd wake up in the morning and, you know, take a few shots and be like, oh, I have class at two. So I guess I can drink until noon and then be prepared for class and then come back and continue drinking. So, you know, it, it came to the point where work and school were minor activities in my day and the drinking was, you know, like the main event almost like work and school were things that stopped me from drinking. Ian, you're you're dropping some truth right now. I know there were some extra listeners, including myself, nodding their heads is where the priority no longer is class, your connections, your friends, your hobbies or whatnot. Your priority is is drinking the alcohol or, or whatever that is for you. And that's a connection of sorts. We, I know I personally forged a very intense connection with the molecule alcohol and, and that became the priority. So 
and, and when that happens, that's that's a difficult spot for any to anybody to be with a drinking problem because that's when you start to lose other things because the priority is the order of priority is, is isn't aligned properly. Yeah, what happens after that? Yeah, um, and I just want to say, like, while I was drinking, by the way, and this is like kind of important to the story, I was still a good student. I still was showing up to class. I still was showing up to work. Um, I had never been in trouble with the law. My parents had no idea I was an alcoholic. And because of all this, I also had no idea I was an alcoholic. You know, I was like, sure, I drank a lot, but I still could get up in the morning and take my exams. I still was a good employee. I showed up to work my part-time job during college. So like, what was the issue? I was 20, 21 at this point. I like to party and drink, like sue me, you know? So that sort of attitude was so strong in my head that I didn't even realize that, you know, drinking daily, blacking out more than I'm falling asleep was an issue. It wasn't until 2020 um, and it wasn't the pandemic, but you know, the few months before shutdown and, you know, the pandemic was really a huge deal um, that I experienced withdrawal for the first time. And that was my big come to Jesus moment. Um, my very first withdrawal was like, it put like literally the fear of God into me. I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was, I thought I smoked like laced weed because I was having heart palpitations. My you know, hands were shaking. I, I literally went out of my bedroom and sat on the stairwell because I was so convinced that I was going to die. And I wanted my roommates to be able to see my body when they came home because maybe I could be helped. Like I had no clue what was going on. I was so confused. I was terrified. Um, and it wasn't until a few months after that I was able to recognize that like through Googling and just like researching that that was alcohol withdrawal and it was deadly. Um, and it was absolutely terrifying. So 2020, that entire year, um, I didn't actually stop, but I was able to at least acknowledge like, oh my God, I just went through withdrawal. And it made me realize like, it's not about how well I was doing when I was drinking. It's not about the fact that, you know, like, oh, it's not like I'm smashing bottles or losing my job or anything like that. It's about what happens when I don't drink. You know, my I realized that I had built up this insane dependency on alcohol. So it's not, you know, like I can sure I can get wasted every night and still take my exams. But if I don't drink, I'm feeling like I'm having a heart attack, you know, so that that made me realize like, damn, like I have a real, real problem. Ian, some classic traits of an addiction are the timeline of the progression. My head was nodding again. I, th I, I think we're going to be nodding our heads a lot with this, but you talked about the time where, where you were justifying it. You were functioning and look, I'm going to work. I'm doing my mm -hmm. exams. What's the problem? <laughs> What's going on here? There is no issue, right? We've all been there and we we try our damnedest to make sure it is all buttoned up and, until we can't anymore. And then you talked about withdrawal, right? A lot of times there's a time we don't mean to, it could be accidental. Maybe we're sick, maybe work. I, I don't know, but we were, were distanced from alcohol and we began to withdraw. I remember a time when I was in Spain, I was sobering up, I don't know, around four or 5 PM from a huge night the night before. And I got into a hospital and said, I'm I got into a taxi cab and said, go to the hospital. I'm having a heart attack. I know exactly what that was. It was an intense anxiety attack with withdrawals, no fun at all. And it terrified me. And another trait of the addiction timeline is the awareness. You said you acknowledged it. It scared the shit out of you. It scared the you know, the fear of God or whatnot. And it, that also happened to me. I got in that ta taxi cab and the next day, 
it was like, holy crap, what is going on here? I had the awareness. You said the word realized, you acknowledged, you realized that if you didn't have this, there was a major problem. You're going to feel horrible. All right. Your body is going to revolt because there was a physical dependence on alcohol. And the next thing you said, you know, 2020, you didn't quit drinking, but you, you move forward with this awareness or realization. And this is the time listeners, you've heard me say it before where alcohol has been ruined for you. Um, it's a shitty time, but it's also a beautiful time because you're close to the sobriety date, but it's a shitty time because it's not working for you. You're drinking, but in the back of your mind, it's like, all right, you know, the, the gig is, it's coming to a close, buddy. So yeah, take us after, take us forward after that. Yeah. So after that one withdrawal, I guess the next, maybe from 21 to, I mean, 2020 to 2021, I had cut down, I'm using air quotes because by then I was drinking every other day. Um, and that was only because the hangovers were getting so bad that I needed an entire day to recover. Um, so I would drink one day blackout. And then the next day I'd be like, Oh, okay, well, I'm not going to drink today because I can barely move, but it was less than every single day. Um, and then it went down to drinking a pint a day instead of a fifth. Um, but I was still super miserable. It was still very regular. Um, I didn't find a way out. Um, and over the course of 2022, I had been to the ER about seven times, maybe eight. I started to lose track of, you know, how many times, but last year I was in the ER all the time. Was this to detox or from falls or accidents while drinking? From just detoxing. Yeah. Um, my hangovers were getting so bad that they felt like withdrawals every single time. And gotcha. I was, that I would have a seizure. So I would run to the emergency room once a month almost. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners, alcohol is the most dangerous drug in the world to withdraw from. And I do not recommend going cold turkey if you've been drinking copious amounts for, for decades or whatnot, even for years, a couple of years, it, it doesn't matter. The body will physically revolt. It says, Hey, where's the substance that we've, we've reached new homeostasis with the substance called alcohol in our system. So walk us up to Christmas day, 2022, mm. less than two months ago. Yeah, this was, so actually I, I, in my maybe sixth time in the ER, I talked to a peer counselor who was like, Hey, you need to go to a program. Doesn't matter if it's inpatient, outpatient, you need to go somewhere. Um, and he grabbed my phone, he called somebody up, he fixed everything with my insurance and he put me in an IOP program locally. And I, this was about August of 2022. So this was before Christmas. I had two months of sobriety, but I was still miserable because I was super embarrassed about it. I didn't tell any of my friends. I wanted to keep things a secret. I wanted nobody to know that I was going to be in recovery or doing a program. So after those two months, I didn't graduate IOP because I left early because it was too much. I had work nine to five and then from 5.30 to 8.30 every single day, I had to go to this online group. I hated it. You know, I, I, I basically set myself up for another relapse and I left IOP, obviously immediately relapsed, kept drinking until December. Um, and that was when I had to go home for Christmas. I basically just had a really embarrassing time. I had a really shitty, embarrassing Christmas. Um, and I realized like, 
I need to go back to IOP because now my parents know. And that was one of my, like, that, that was a big deal for me is like, now my family knows I'm not, I'm no longer like the good boy who graduated and, you know, went off to go, you know, I was now becoming an embarrassment. And that to me was, was really hurtful. Um, so I decided to put myself back in the same IOP program and I graduated last week. Yeah. Big time Ian, on, on finishing IOP last week. That's incredible to hear. And you, you said, oh, my family knows, right? And right, that yeah. precipitated you getting back into IOP, which you finished last week. Here we are with uh, you know almost 60 days away from alcohol, which is fantastic, Ian. That's incredible. And now my parents know. <laughs> my, yeah. so, my sobriety date came very shortly after I burned the ships with them at 7 o'clock in the morning on a houseboat on Lake Powell at Lake Powell, Utah, where I'd already been drinking from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., where, how impactful was that for you? And like the gig was up and other people knew there was a, a deep, dark secret inside of you. It came out. How did that feel? Were you embarrassed, ashamed, or were you almost relieved? Like, ah, oh, finally, other people know about it. Um, I was super embarrassed. Uh, I guess I, 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 I'm super obsessed with image. Apparently I learned in my recovery because the first time I did IOP, you know, I, I didn't want to tell anyone. I thought it was embarrassing. And then I realized actually it's more embarrassing to be a drunk, stupid mess in front of your friends and family than tell them that you're going to be recovering from being a drunk, stupid mess. Um, and I only realized that over Christmas. So that's a major value bomb right there. It's more embarrassing to pass out at your family over the holidays than, than to be sober, right? And then to be present for sure. Like what's the path of least resistance right there? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, you know, how have you done it these last 60 days nearly, right? Are you going to AA? Are you still involved in your IOP group? I know you finished last week, but a lot of times people stay in contact with them. How have you done it? Um, so when I was in IOP, uh, my schedule would be go to work um, nine to five, take the bus back. I'd come back home just in time for IOP. So I didn't have any time to do anything else really. At 8.30, it ends. And then I hang out with my dog for the rest of the night. I What really, really um, changed everything was being transparent with people. I told my friends, you know, I'm in this program, drugs and alcohol are not serving me anymore. I have a problem. I can't drink with you guys. I need you guys' support. And that for me was a huge relief um, because before I was able to hide things, I just told my friends like, oh yeah, I'm on antibiotics right now. I can't drink. Um, but that allowed me to go like, okay, well maybe next week I'll drink. And then, you know, they can't hold me accountable. But now I have this accountability. I have this community um, in my friends and, and there's no way I could relapse without there being consequences, not only from myself, but, you know, from my support system. Um, and it holds me accountable. It's, it's, it's so, so, so important that I tell people, even the, you know, the person I'm dating now, they know I'm sober. Like it, it's, it's very, very important for me to be transparent. And that has changed everything for me. Ian, the last minute of this interview has been solid gold where you said you being transparent or you opening up to your friends. And we call that burning the ships here at Recovery Elevator. It creates uh, accountability. And then mm -hmm. the next word you said was community. And that's almost like this math equation that is almost always true here at Recovery Elevator. When we burn the ships or we're transparent, we create accountability with whomever we speak to. And that inevitably 
morphs or evolves into community. I love that. It's it's true all across the board in recovery from what I've seen thus far doing this for for several years now. So how has it been quitting drinking at an early age? Let's speak to those listeners, Ian, who might be 18, 19, 20 right now. I mean, I've, I've heard people getting sober at age 15. There are listeners right now who are in their late teens or in college going, gosh, everybody's drinking. I can't do this because I'm in my Absolutely. early 20s. You know, what What do you have to say to them, Ian? It, it does feel a little bit lonely um, because we make such a huge deal as a society about these these days, these years. Um, and we're supposed to be drinking. We're supposed to be making bad decisions. We're supposed to be partying in college. Um, and when you try to do something about it, you're suddenly put in these facilities or this IOP program full of 40 year olds, you know, no offense to 40 year olds, but you know, yeah, 40. There, <laughs> there's a certain uh, disconnect you have with the people that you're supposed to be surrounded by. And, you know, you're supposed to feel connected to because they are telling stories about how they lost their kids, their wife, they have 60 UIs, maybe they've been to prison and you're just like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm 21. And I, you know, like I pass out every night, but you know, nothing's ever happened to me. So it's really easy to make excuses for yourself. And I did that a whole lot. You know, I was like, I've never been to jail. I don't have any kids. I didn't lose my wife. So it, am I really that bad? But it's important to realize that it doesn't really matter how bad you look on the outside because if if alcohol and substances are not serving you if they're making you miserable then you have a problem in in the recovery world we call that the yet scale i haven't lost a job yet i haven't had a dui yet or lost my family yet right and it's incredible you can wake up to that that fact at 24 and that's how i see this as a huge advantage I hear a lot of times from people who quit drinking in their 50s, like, man, I, I wish I'd had done this earlier. Yes, there's an, another layer of challenges being younger. That's your contemporaries, your friends are, are going big at this time, right? A lot of them haven't quite phased out of that yet, but yeah. you are laying the foundation for the rest of your life, an internal foundation that doesn't require externally to having alcohol for wholeness. And that foundation is going to serve you in the rest of your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, the rest of your life where your friends you know, they're probably going to, everybody does has some sort of midlife crisis, whether how it's grandiose or not, but they go through that in their late thirties or forties and fifties, and you're doing it right now, Ian. So I want you to remember that is if it, it might be challenging, everyone else is drinking, it seems, but you're building the foundation for the rest of your life while your friends are going to do this later, AKA you're almost getting a head start in life despite the thinking mind that's probably telling you that you're you're already way behind in life. I, I just want to let you know that's how I see it. Yeah, thank you. That 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 is so, so, so true. Um, a lot of people in my IOP program or, you know, even when I was in inpatient for a little bit, um, they would tell me like, listen, I wish I realized that I had a problem at your age, um, but everything was just so normalized. I was making excuses for myself all the time. And then it got to the point where I've lost my family. I've gotten DUIs. I've gotten in trouble with the law. And by realizing this at a young age, like it does, it does suck. It does suck. I cannot like lie and say that, you know, it, 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 you feel like you're missing out. And then you also, I also have this feeling of like, well, why me? Why are there other people out there that can drink every single night and party? And then, you know, they have this weird, wake up moment when they're 25 or 30 and they just stop they don't need the help they're just like okay i'm not a kid anymore 
um, it does suck that it's that this is your thing, but it, it's it's also your responsibility to you know be better for yourself. Ian, one thing looking back in my 20s, when I was your age, 100% I was an alcoholic, but I don't quite think I had the courage that you have at your age to fully investigate that internally. I remember, I think I was 25 or 26, I was in a therapist's office and she, the gal, do you think that alcohol might be a problem or you might be addicted to alcohol, Paul? And I scoffed internally. And this is after I owned a bar in Spain and I was black, blacking out seven nights a week. This is after taking the 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 taxi cab to the hospital, having a panic attack or heart attack, whatever. And I said, no, um, I think there was so much weight trying to cover that up. It just wanted to explode. Hell yes, I have a major problem with alcohol, but I don't think I quite had the courage, Ian. I don't think I was ready. I didn't have the words that you used. Um, I wasn't ready to acknowledge it. I wasn't ready to realize it. So, man, I got to give you major props, major kudos. A lot of people, um, their drinking is totally out of control in their 20s, but they don't have that internal courage to say, hey, look, this is not the person that I want to be. So let's talk about that. You know, what is on your bucket list in, in sobriety? What What is the person? Who is that person that you want to be? Um, you know, I'm, I think we're all still sort of figuring it out, but really I just want to make myself proud. I want to ride my bike more. I want to be a better dog dad. I want to start a family. I want to, um, achieve whatever career goals I suddenly realize that, you know, I have, I think in my recovery, really, I just want to be confident in it. I don't know if I'm completely there yet. Um, I still am not, I'm still pretty hush hush about it. My friends may know, but I don't make it like a huge deal. Uh, and I think at first I was very confused and intimidated by people who are so gung ho about being sober. Like they are so aggressively sober. It's their whole thing. Um, and I just sort of realized like that helps them. That's their way of, you know, creating accountability. Um, and there's nothing shameful or, or, or wrong about that. There's nothing embarrassing about that. Um, and so I think I want to lean more into that and just be like the best sober person I can possibly be for myself. Ian, those things you mentioned, part of it was, you know, you want to raise a family or have a family, be a dog dad, the career to be the most authentic version of you to summarize what you just said. All of those are a possibility. And a likely possibility in my mind. Now with alcohol in your life and alcohol in my life, what those none of those things would have been a possibility. And I, and I doubt they'd be a possibility for, for you as well. So that is the miracle of, of a near rebirth in life. And Ian, you get a rebirth at age 24 and not 67. Um, and you have a whole life ahead of you to go after this stuff. And Ian, Sometimes there's, 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 we call it field research. You know, sometimes we need to learn the lessons again, um, you know, and if that happens, it does. And that's, and that's okay. But again, the way I see it overwhelmingly is, is it's such an asset to have sobriety under your belt at a young age. Uh, I am an employer. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life and I've had several team members and working with team members at recovery elevator who are sober, they, they come to the workforce with an additional set of skills. They're more grounded. They are more versed in a vocabulary of, of how to navigate emotions and how that um, affects the workplace. I would rather work with people in recovery, even if the business, business isn't recovery oriented, 
So I'm that's a seed that I'm trying to plant with you. And I think you already have it growing is perhaps the most badass thing about you, Ian, is that you're sober and 24. And I would leverage the heck out of that moving forward with employers, with maybe potential girlfriends or mates, whoever. Um, I would be as open up about that as possible because yes, it's going to create accountability for you, but it also it also sets you apart from from the rest of the world. And and when I entered the dating world, we all have that thought when we quit drinking, like oh, no one's going to want to want to date me. But when mm. I put that I was sober on my online profile, shall we say, I had way more bites. <laughs> and 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 here's why: because when women are thinking about starting a family or anybody, you know, starting that chapter of their life with a potential mate qualities, such as, you know, for myself, like a good father, reliable, they can provide an income. Those are still, that still has to happen in 2022. Those Mm -hmm. don't align with alcohol, right? So these girls for me, when I was entering the dating field in sobriety, they're not looking for somebody who's getting blacked out. They're looking for a potential father to their children who are reliable that can show up. And those are all attributes that come from sobriety. So Again, Ian, such an amazing attribute of yours to to be sober. Yeah. Ian, I got a couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire round. Um, you know, what are some rules that you live by? I think acknowledge the small wins in my daily life is a big rule for me. Um, something that I feel like people like us are so, so lucky to have is that every single day that we wake up, we're further towards like our goal. Um, and I think that's so, so, so significant. Um, every single day when I go to my bus stop and I pass the liquor store, instead of going in, that to me is a win. Every single day when I come back from work and I pass the liquor store again, that's another one. I get to celebrate all these tiny wins in my daily life every single day. You know, so many people in the world wake up and they, they haven't done anything to really like further themselves in life. They don't have anything to pat themselves on the back about, but we do. I wake, I woke up sober today. And that for me is like a small win. And that's what kind of keeps me going. Love it. A lot of people think sobriety is one decision, quit drinking and I'm done. But it's in fact, the thousands of small decisions that add up to that large outcome. Next question is um, when you do become a pet dad, a dog dad, what kind of dog do you want to get? Ooh, um, I, I've always wanted a Great Dane. I think they're such beautiful dogs and they're so like goofy and funny and silly, but I have a apartment that is too small to accommodate (laughs) such a dog. But one day when I'm living in like a larger house with a nice big backyard and maybe a farm, I'd want a Great Dane so badly. I think they're gorgeous. For sure. It'll happen. All right, Ian, we've hit the rapid fire round. answer these questions in 10 to 30 seconds that would be great are you ready i'm so ready all right number one what's the one thing you've learned about yourself since quitting drinking (laughs) i have so many more problems than just alcohol when you get sober i feel like it's easy to think that like this is it this is going to fix everything this just opens your eyes to everything else there are so many more things that i need to figure out Um, in order to live like my best life and be my best self. And alcohol was getting in the way of me seeing that. Um, So that's out of the way. But now I'm still faced with all of these other problems I need to acknowledge on their own. Um, And they do not go away. Um, But thankfully, at least alcohol is 
is is is dealt with. Ian, what's your favorite alcohol-free drink? Um, ooh, I really love orange cream soda. It's been there since I was like a kid. My parents used to take me to this, this old school pizzeria in New York, um, and they would always have orange cream soda. Um, and I've recently gotten back into it after uh, becoming sober, and it tastes just as good. Yeah, I love it. Ian, what's the point of life? Um, I would say to love others, to challenge yourself, and make a good connection with an animal, whether you like dogs or cats, just anything. Yeah, what's your favorite band from the early 2000s or early 2010s? You know, this is embarrassing, but I was a big One Direction fan. For sure. I used to DJ a lot of weddings and there was a wonder, I forget what it was, but there's a One Direction song. They're like, yep, here we go. It's back to dance floor. <laughs> yeah, <it's... laughs> yeah. All right, Ian, if you had a pet ladybug, what would you name it? I would name my pet ladybug Guillermo. Guillermo, love it. What's your favorite type of pizza? Uh, ooh, prosciutto and arugula. What parting piece of guidance do you have to listeners? celebrate every single win that you have it doesn't matter how small it doesn't matter if it's just like i woke up this morning you are farther towards your goal and you have achieved something and not everyone can say that they've achieved so many goals in one day and before we depart give listeners your own customized you might need to ditch the booze if line you might need to ditch the booze if you are scheduling everything in your day around drinking. Yeah, that checks out for sure. Ian, thank you for sharing your story. I know everybody could take away something from this episode, but especially the younger listeners. Thank you so much, Ian. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Back to the but a symptom line before we close. I want you to start asking. Begin the explorative process, maybe with pen and paper. Ask the universe. Look up to a flying bird. It doesn't matter. But start asking what is the underlying unrest? What is it that I'm using alcohol to cover up or to cope with? Quitting drinking, sobriety is the opportunity of a lifetime. And what comes with that is the inner investigative opportunities we have to uncover, to address the inner turmoil and the unrest inside, but yet in a more permanent and sustainable way. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down we got to take the stairs back up. I love you guys. And don't forget that we definitely can do this. Get it.